Thank you, Brett, and the team. That was wonderful. Um, as the song said, Jesus has the best heart and always the best of intentions, uh, irregardless of what occurred yesterday, irregardless of what happens today. His love reigns supreme. Back in January, if you went to the grocery store, how many of you predicted that in two months all the toilet paper would be gone? <laughs> that you just had that thought, and you, you went and told all your friends and said, hey, this is going to happen. I don't think anybody named that one. Uh, how many of you decided to improve your vocabulary by uh, using the word Zoom several times a day? And how many of you decided that a decorative face mask would make a great birthday present? It's been a strange year, hasn't it? Uh, an interesting year. Uh, years ago, a radio station magnate, meaning that he owned about 500 Christian radio stations, and he loved prophecy. Uh, and uh, so... One day, uh, he put out on this radio that Judgment Day would occur on September 6, 1994. And when that didn't happen, he revised the date to September 29th. And when that date rolled around, he changed it to October 2nd. So, fast forward to 2005, and uh, he predicted that the second coming of Christ would be on May 21st, 2011. And he began to put these billboards up all over the place. And you may have seen them. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really interesting when people decide that they want to be able to express their opinion on when all of the things at the end of the world will occur. And when this person put up this next billboard, he really confused everyone. And I'm just kidding. That's a joke, by the way. Uh, he didn't put that one up. Uh, and when the May 21st deadline passed, someone put this slide up. Someone very clever. The book of Joel in the Old Testament describes some unprecedented times. So Joel, we're in chapter 1, verse 1, and I'll, I'll read the word of the... Flint, do I need to do anything else? Or? Okay. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. I feel like I'm standing in the wrong place. Okay. <laughs> so Joel, chapter 1, verse 1. Can you bring me the handheld? Hey, I'm switching to the handheld. Thanks, thanks for your patience, especially y'all at home. And uh, sometimes things like this happen. And if I could predict things like this, uh, we, we could stay ahead. Uh, but we, we are in the book of Joel in the Old Testament. Uh, and it, it's, this is a book that's, that describes unprecedented times. 
So Joel chapter 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders, and give ear to all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days, or even in the days of your fathers? Well, that's this question we've been asking lately. Has anything ever happened like this before? And it goes on to say, tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children, and their children another generation. And then verse 4 goes into, what the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. And what the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. And he goes on in verse 5 to begin a series of admonitions for the people to wake up from their rebellion, from their sin, and to turn their hearts again toward God because God's judgment is at hand. And when we jump to Joel 1.15, it says, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near. And as destruction from the Almighty, it comes. And the theme of the book of Joel is the day of the Lord. So I'm wearing glasses today. I've got progressive lenses, so they're kind of like bifocals or trifocals. And uh, they give me the ability to read what's up close and to see things that are far away. And so that the lenses of the prophets were often like this. So Joel could see the destruction of the locusts close up, and God helped him to find or see the additional meaning about events looking far off into the future. So there is this national disaster. There's a swarm of locusts, which was not uncommon in that part of the world, uh, and it still happens today. Uh, it's it's There's a terrible experience with these locusts in East Africa because they are just destroying everything there. A few years ago, there was a locust swarm in uh, Las Vegas. I don't know if you remember hearing about that. But the weather radar picked it up, and uh, it was like a storm cloud coming in. And so... Uh, if you've ever heard the, the phrase connected to lo- a locust swarm, it's, it's like the, the sky went black. The sun was blotted out. That's what it's like to, to experience a swarm of locusts. And Joel uses this invasion of locusts to predict a future event. And first, Joel points to this, to the, 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 the this is a day of the Lord that foreshadows two events actually. One is around 100 years in the future when the Assyrian army comes in from the north. Another thing that caught Joel's attention about the locusts was that they usually invaded from the south. And this particular swarm invaded from the north. And God began to speak to him through that. And the, the Assyrian army invades Israel and they take a couple of hundred thousand captives and they de- and they basically deport them to Assyria. And the next event is, that will be followed is the ultimate day of the Lord sometime in our future. Uh, basically, it is a progressive intensification of God's wrath as described here in Joel 2, 1 and 2. It says, Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. 
It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. Their like has never been before, nor will be again after them through the years of all generations. So I'm basically a joy to be around today. The term the day of the Lord doesn't refer to a 24-hour day or period. It refers to a process of time by which God disrupts world history with his own agenda in terms of judgment. And he interjects a special period of divine judgment into the history of the world. That's the day of the Lord. Jesus put it this, this way. Jesus put it this way. For then there will be a great tribulation. Such as has not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. So Joel and Jesus are looking at the future and agreeing with each other. There's a coming period of time where the Holocaust, every major war, plagues, famines, pandemics, they are all child's play compared to the coming day of the Lord. And Today is not the day of the Lord. Today is the day of mankind. This is our day, man's day. It's the day of me, myself, and I. It's the day that we are setting our own agenda and not really following God's agenda. We're doing our own thing. We're exercising our will. And God is very patient, fortunately. And he will continue until he sees fit to stop. Now, at some point in the future, there's another event called the Day of Christ. And the Day of Christ is mentioned four times in the scriptures. And it refers to the second coming of Jesus Christ for his people. That day will then usher in the, the process of time called the Day of the Lord or the Day of Christ. Uh, or the Day of Christ will come after this period. Okay, let me let me do that again. Okay, at some point in the future, uh, there is going to be this, this, this time, this day of Christ when Jesus returns and, and, and we, we were taken up into the clouds with him. Okay, and that happens basically in some people's mind uh, before this great day of the Lord, this great tribu- tribulation. Now, there are others that think it happens after that. And, you know, I'm not sure about that and we're all very fortunate here we have great women's bible studies and men's bible studies and beginning january i'm sorry september 16th uh pastor brett is going to start a uh a study on revelation 6 through 19 which is all about the coming day of the lord and so he's going to zoom that it's, it's a great opportunity to learn exactly what's coming uh brett uh, has told me that he will remove all of the mystery that comes with studying Revelation. And uh, when I asked him, I said, how are you going to explain this and this and this? He said, oh, that's easy peasy. There's nothing, you know, to that. And, uh, you know, Brett did, I was just thinking, Brett did submit a check request last week for um, some bill, billboard advertisements. So I'm not sure what's going on there, but uh, so now 
regarding this, I want to switch gears with you because the motivation of God's message is not to bring the end to this world. Uh, Jesus is always loving and always redemptive. And the, the prophet Joel, Joel's role in scripture is to wave a red flag and say, stop, repent, and turn your heart again toward God. One of the greatest promises of God is smack dab in the middle of this book on God's judgment. Joel 2, 12 through 13 says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. Now, when he says, return to me with all your heart and rend your hearts and not your garments. Many of you know that in Jewish culture, in deep mourning, they would tear their, their, their clothing as a sign that they were in, in this deep grief. And what he's saying there is that don't put on a show. Tear, this, should, this situation should tear up your heart. Because of the seriousness of it and the call to repent, the warning to come and return to me. Now, one of the, one of the ways that we prepare our hearts, uh, uh, because I, I think that as we go into the future, we need to have a future orientation for what's going to come. And that we need to prepare our hearts for it. And one of the ways we can do that is to understand how the losses in our lives have impacted us. And one of the ways that we prepare our hearts is that to understand that property can be restored. Old houses and cars can be restored. Relationships can be restored. But one thing that can never be restored is time. Time passes and it's gone. Years pass, and we never get them back. In terms of lost years or locust years, the, the locusts do more than just destroy physical property. Uh, they eat away at our souls. Yet God promises the impossible. He says, I will restore the years that the locust has eaten, in Joel 2.25. The immediate meaning of this promise uh, to the people in Joel's day is very clear. God's people had suffered the devastation of their entire harvest because of the, the locusts. And so for four consecutive years, the harvest was completely wiped out. And God's people were brought to their knees in more ways than one. But in Joel 2, 18 and 19, God turns his heart toward them and he says, The Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. And God said, Behold, I am sending you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied. Uh, God's mercy, God's love is always behind the scenes. Now, the, the question for you, what do the lost years look like for you? The lost years or locust years are years you can't get back. Uh, and they come in many varieties. They're the unexpected lost years, and I'm thinking of those who've lost a loved one. Uh, you've had plans for the future, 
but then there's uh, terminal illness, a horrible accident, and you have the thought that you never thought that things would work out this way. Now, lost years are when you mostly focused on yourself and what you want, and you have a tendency to keep score with others and with God, and you hold on to times when someone has hurt you uh, or that you misinterpret God's intent, and you become angry and you bitter, and you choose not to forgive. And there's a lot of lost time and energy in not forgiving someone. If you're holding a grudge against someone today, how much time do you spend thinking about that situation? How much time do you spend mentally rehearsing what you should have said or could have said or would have said if you had that time back? Or you live in rebellion from God's purposes for your life, and instead of bringing you pleasure, rebellion has brought you pain. And now you look back on those years with regret, the years that the locusts have eaten. And you may have the regrets like, you know, how did I end up here? And if only, if only I'd taken that path, if only I'd taken that opportunity, if only I'd made that different choice. But those moments have passed. They're, they're gone. And you can't go back to it. And you feel like you're left with nothing but locust years. Well, I want you to take heart because there is hope. Because God can restore your lost locust years. And I think he does so in, in many ways. But here are three. See, God can restore lost years by deepening your life in Christ. And Joel 2.27 says, You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God. And so these people who have endured so much enjoy a communion with the Lord that is far greater than anything they've ever had in their religious lives. You know, there's a huge difference between having a religious life and a true uh and fulfilling life with God. See, Jesus can restore those lost years by deepening your fellowship with him. Now, what I want to suggest that you do is why not ask him for this? Why not pray that, Lord, I've spent too many years without you, too many years at a distance from you, too many years focused on the day of mankind, the day of me, myself, and I. I pray that God would fill my heart with gratitude and love for, for, for Jesus and the work that he's been doing in my life in the ways that I don't see. And in the areas of my hurt, instead of bitterness, I want to choose to see that my love for Christ is, is greater than it would ever be in spite of those occurrences. So today, ask Jesus to restore the years that the locusts have eaten. And God can also restore lost years by multiplying your fruitfulness. The locusts destroyed the the harvest for four years. But God restored the years that the locusts had given by giving huge harvests. See, God can restore lost years by bringing long-term gain from short-term loss. See, the effects of these great trials in your life will be 
as First Peter 1, 7 says, the tested genuineness of your faith so that it may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. See, the praise, glory, and honor of your life go to Christ because his power has guarded you from all of these personal troubles, and we often misinterpret the events of our lives. We sometimes think that God has just forgotten us. I love what John Piper says here. John, John says, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, but you may only be aware of three of them. See, our sins, our grief, our sorrows were laid on Jesus. Our judgment for our sin fell on him. Our locusts swarmed all over Jesus. And Jesus offers himself to you in this way. And he says what no one else can ever say to you. He says, I will restore the lost years of your life. Now, I have a friend who regularly prays the words, Come swiftly, Lord Jesus. And if you're like me, when I think about preparing for the day of Christ or the day of the Lord, I'm unsure how to pray because there's this part of me that wants to to pray, come swiftly, Lord Jesus, but give me a heads up. (laughs) Give me a heads up so that I can get my spiritual act together. And, you know, I, I think of things that are basically more like behavioral modification or sin management and I think I can offset the stuff that I do that's really off God's agenda by reading the Bible. I can memorize scripture. I can focus on being a better spouse, better parent. I can focus on doing my job better. I can be a, more kinder to my coworkers. And we tend to create this list of positive behavioral traits to seek God's approval. And we think that we can change the lost years, the locust years. Through our behavior. Now, theologically, we may know that we don't need to do this and that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross uh, is enough. His sacrifice for our sins blots all of that out. But deep in our hearts, sometimes we don't believe that, don't believe it to true. And we need to remember Jesus' words in Matthew 11, where he says, Come to me. All you are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. He goes on to say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is life, light. See, Jesus didn't say, come to me, all you are weary and heavy burdened, and I'll help you figure out your spiritual life. He didn't say, come to me, all you are weary, and I'll give you more to do. He didn't say, come, and I'll help you become a moral person. I'll put you on a personal development plan. It's not what Jesus does. He says, come, and I will give you rest. And in spiritual terms, rest means primarily to cease from one's own works, one's own effort, with the idea of the release of anxiety, worry, and insecurity, the release about yesterday, a release about what, what happened today, and a release of all that anxiety for what may occur tomorrow and in the future. Jesus says, come, 
and I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Now, Pam and I have experienced, especially this past decade, a number of locust years. And we've had years that we just have looked at each other and just not known, you know, what are we going to do? How are we going to handle this? And uh, before COVID, I used to pray regularly with Bill Brown and Bob Schwader. And uh, that's something I miss uh, these, these days. And one day, Bill and I were talking, and he began to recount all the ways he was observing how God was restoring the losses of the locust years. And the, we, were, we were overtaken. We were surprised by the joy of that because it took, us, took me off guard. And the, the work of the Holy Spirit in this experience was so subtle and so gentle and so loving and the restoration did not happen like I hoped it would or that I planned. You know, God ought to come through in this way. None of those ideas happened. God surprised me with a restoration uh, that I could never have anticipated. And he, he snuck up on me. And suddenly my life was changed. And he changed me through the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's, I, I love what Francis Schaeffer says about this, this subject. You know, he basically says that what we can hope for in most things on this side of heaven is partial restoration. That full restoration will come when we get to heaven. But now what we can hope for is partial in nature because that's the world we live in. We continue to have these struggles and deal with the problems of our world. And... The Holy Spirit, I love what Larry Crabb describes the Holy Spirit. He says the Holy Spirit's role in our lives is to disrupt and entice. To disrupt our agenda for what we think we should be doing and how we should be living and what we want to do tomorrow and the next day and in the future, all our future plans. And some of those are great plans and he's on board, but there are a lot of plans that he, he's just not been consulted He's not, a, he's not playing a role in that. And the Holy Spirit, I think, enjoys in a, the grace, most gracious of ways to disrupt our world. He shakes up our world. And in turn, he entices us. Come to me. Come to me. Return to me. Turn your heart again towards me. And that is the entire story of the scripture. And we can read the Old Testament and see, wow, that's, he's so harsh there. He's so harsh. But in the background of all that's going on, those 10,000 things that you don't see, those are the things you need to be looking for. And those are the things that Pam and I, that was part of the change in our attitude, was we began to look for those ways that God was, was, was working in our lives. And our gratitude for the things we were going through and the experience we were having, we, we didn't celebrate it, but we began to express gratitude for all the work that God was doing. And that changed a lot of what we were going through. And I'm still amazed at how God is restoring years that I thought were gone and how he's restoring years that... I, you know, I can't go back to. 
I can't do and I can't have a do over in those years because those times have passed. But God can restore in many, many ways. And I want to encourage you with that today. Let me pray. And so, Father, I just want to thank you for the ways that you are working in our lives, the things we see and especially the things we don't see. And, Lord, I want to call upon your spirit now for all of us, Lord, that your, your, your kindness, your, your healing hand, your, the Holy Spirit prompting and that when you disrupt our lives that we would look for your enticement. How Help us to listen. Give us ears so that we can hear your voice. And then when we hear your voice, help us to respond in ways that please you and that will make a true difference in our lives. Lord, I thank you for these difficult times, the locust years. And more so, I thank you for the restoration that can occur when I turn my heart again towards you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.